0: It says in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to need that. Um, and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, uh, as he said, And he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And so this morning we celebrate the fact that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It's the resurrection. This is the uh, greatest event in the history of mankind uh, for the purpose of men and women and children, because the great enemy is death. And as you know, we're at the hospital and we watch people uh, slip away and families and people crying in the waiting room and everything. That's the enemy is death and generation after generation after generation. And there is no hope in mankind. There's no hope in medicine. There's no hope in science. If God didn't come back for a million years, people would still die Uh, That's what's going to happen. The wages of sin is death, and God is not going to allow a bunch of men in white coats to override his decree that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But God so loved the world that he worked out a plan of redemption, and he sent his son to conquer the enemy. When he came forth from the grave, he had um, conquered Satan, he had uh, conquered death, And he had put away sin. And so I thought maybe today what we would look at is uh, the anatomy of the uh, crucifixion. Now what I'm about to teach you is extra credit. You don't need to know this stuff. But somebody wanted me to teach it. So I'm going to teach it. All you need to know is that he died and he rose and you can have uh, salvation in his name. I would say the great... Uh, verse that we always look at here in the back of the Bible written by uh, John in his little uh, letter, Second uh, John. He says, The doctrine of Christ, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath the Father and the Son. You need the doctrine of Christ, and that's the simplicity of the doctrine is that Jesus Christ was God's Son. He was the Son of God. And that's the person. So he was not just a regular man. He's the God man. And he did a perfect and a pure and a complete work where he could say it is finished. And so if you believe what the Bible says that Christ died for your sins and you're willing to confess him as Lord and Savior and you believe that God raised him from the dead bodily three days later, thou shalt be saved. And it's just that simple. That's all you need to know of the doctrine. It's very short. But beyond it like your car all you need to know is you get the key you stick it in you put it in and you drive you may have no idea what how gasoline it works in a combustion engine and there are pistons and there are rods and and there's a drive shaft and there's a train you may not know any of it you don't need to it works just fine the salvation will work just fine if you don't know any of this stuff but if you want to look into it it is curious to look into go back to the back of your Bible, go to First John chapter 2, a little epistle. Uh, John is a great writer of the New Testament. Think of him like the Moses of the New Testament. Just as Moses wrote five books in the Old Testament and they were about the law, John writes five books in the New Testament and they're about grace. And grace is greater than the law. And in First John chapter two, and in verse one, he's writing here to believers, and he says, "My little children," and by the way, that's what we are. And I see some people here are over seventy, and you're still a little child in God's sight. Okay, you're little children. Oh, I'm a big grown adult, right? Let's put you in that. Okay, next to a five-year-old, yeah. Okay, so on the left side of you is the five-year-old. On the right side is God. Okay, so let's compare your age to the five-year-old and your age to God. You're a little child. That's all we are. So as long as we remember that and we humble ourselves as little children, we can learn more from God and grow. But uh, when we start getting too big for our britches, He can't teach us. My little children... These things I write unto you, that ye sin not. Now, if any man sin, even a saved man, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we we still do sin, but Christ is there being our advocate with the Father and saying, I've got this covered. It's okay, I've got this covered for him. Why? Verse 2, because he is the propitiation for our sins. Big word, it means the full payment. The full and the final and the total and the complete and the eternal payment of sin was made by Jesus Christ. But then notice what he says here, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Back up a few books to uh, Hebrews. Also, chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And I I love this chapter. There's there's so much in it. I want to get to verse 9, but just in verse... 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. And Paul is talking to the Jews about everything you've heard in the Word of God. And we ought to give great heed to it. Um, Verse 2. If the word spoken by angels in the Old Testament was steadfast. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? And the Lord came, the Old Testament, you know, the angels and the law and all that stuff. And along comes Jesus in the New Testament, a step higher, bringing something greater than the Old Testament. The Old Testament couldn't forgive sin, couldn't remove sin. Here comes the New Testament, and Jesus is speaking about it. That's that great salvation. Verse 9, same chapter. So we see Jesus. And although in his body he was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, because angels can't die. But he said, okay, I'll be a man so I can die. So we're going to look at this, why God did this and how he did it. He's crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death, not just for the believer, but for every man. See, he's not just the propitiation for our sins. He's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. So he had to do something very unique here, and and it must have been difficult for him, but he had to, and we'll see in the teaching, die as a lost man, so to speak. And what's going to happen to him on that cross is kind of a picture immediately in the moment after of how a lost man dies. Because he's the propitiation, not just for saved men, because if it was for saved men only, his soul wouldn't have gone down. His soul would have gone up with his spirit. Because when you and I die, our soul doesn't go down it. You can do a double arrow, another red one, and it goes right up to God. But he had to taste it for every man and do what a lost man goes through so that he could save lost men. That would be us. We were lost when he saved us. So he had to take the trip that we were kind of supposed to take there. So so let's take a look at it and see if we can get a, a fuller understanding. Now, we do know, uh, backing up from Hebrews a few books to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a lot of Bible teaching this morning. This is Bible teaching. Maybe when you're home, if you're smart, get on your computer and listen to a good preacher. I'm not much of a preacher. I'm... Um, you get some teaching here. First Thessalonians five. And at the end of the chapter of First Thessalonians, Paul speaking to a good little church there, is, is giving them a lot of good words. Verse 16, "Rejoice evermore. Amen. Talking to safe people. Uh, uh, pray without ceasing. Amen. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, by the way. You know, I've had a a little trial in my life the past few weeks, and yesterday I'm walking around after coming back from the hospital with my wife trying to sort things out, and the Lord was trying to teach me how to give thanks in the midst of this trial. And, And he had to adjust my thinking and my time frame of thinking. The problem with me, there's a lot of problems with me, but one of the problems with me is, uh, as a anesthesiologist, as a shepherd, you've got to anticipate and see down the road. I, I, I can't just walk with my nose in front of me a few feet. i got to see a mile down the road. It's the way I've always had to see things. Uh, I, I've got to see the big picture. I've got to see the long term. I've got to see the plan. Uh, I, it's the way I drive. When you drive with me, I'm a quarter mile down the road. I see what's going on at intersections a quarter mile down there. I see lights there. I see th- I'm see i just surveying. I, I should look in front of me once in a while, see how close I am to the car. Um, but um, it's just the way I think. And the problem is my time thinking is that way, too. I'm thinking big picture, long term. What are we going to do here in the church for the next few years? What Always thinking prophetically. And he's saying, no, I want you to shorten up and th- one day at a time. And you can give thanks today, can't you? Right, she's here, isn't she? There you go. And so, so he's got to adjust my time frame of thinking. So in everything, give thanks. And even in this, you can give thanks. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now as he goes through here and talks about a lot of things uh, quench not the spirit if the spirit wants to the spirit of God wants to teach you something don't quench it if the spirit of God wants you to do something don't put it out do it um, despise not prophesyings which sadly almost all Christians do despise prophesyings they don't like the word of God i know they like counterfeits of the word of God but don't bring them the true word of God a king james bible they despise that, but I can 't stand that book with the thieves and the thwels. Get it out of here, but that 's where prophesying's come from is that book i 'm sorry, I take so long to teach, but you don 't mind these little bunny trails this morning. I was listening to a teacher with you know a modern version, so it 's not his fault I, he was trained that way, and he was uh, talking about a great author from the 1800s uh, J.C. Ryle and he reads his book and it was great and we need this book and we all need that book and what he's saying is although he's not aware of it, what he's saying is, and J.C. Ryle is great because J.C. Ryle lived before there was a modern version. He doesn't understand this. And J.C. Ryle, he read the Word of God and he was able to write on the Word of God and he's getting things out of the Word of God. I'm not getting out of my perversion so I got to read his stuff from 1800s because I'm not getting anything today. Now, if he would stop despising God's Word, he could get something today. But sadly, what are you going to do? Uh, Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Okay, try your modern Bibles out. Try them against God's, hold the good one, get rid of the bad ones. It won't take long to figure that out. About one week of reading the Psalms in the King James Bible, and you'll throw anything else out that you had. Anyways, keep going. Abstain from all appearance of evil. The all appearances of evil is found on the second table of that uh, law, uh, if you kill someone, that, that looks evil. If you commit adultery, that looks evil. If you steal, that looks evil. If you bear false witness, that looks evil. If you're coveting all the time, that looks evil. Abstain from that. Don't do that. And then verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's teaching you is some anatomy, spiritual anatomy. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. You have three parts. And again, let me let me try and make it uh, simple. The way it works like this is the life of the body is the soul. A soul can only exist in one of three places. It's either inside of a human body or it's with God after it dies. Or, like Jesus said, it's in hell. There is no other place. There's only one of three places. There's no purgatory. There's no limbo. It's only, it's either in a body, or it's in heaven, if it's departed, or it's in hell. No other options. That's why Christ did this work, so that yours could go with God and not go down. Okay? There's only, once that soul left that body, then then there had to be a movement of the Spirit and and we're going to take a look at where the soul and the Spirit went and how he tasted death for lost men and he went down to hell for a while. So so one of the things you have to understand is he had to do a full and a complete work. And God does things in threes. I mean, it's pretty obvious. All of nature speaks of the trifold work of God. You know, the dimensions, length, width, and height. The atoms are proton, neutron, and electron. Time is past, present, and future. Uh, m- matter is either solid, liquid, or gas. I mean, God, the f- the trifold fingerprints are all over the place. Uh, you want a family, you need a, a man, a woman, and a child. Uh, you, you got a question, it's either yes, no, or maybe. Uh, the, just, the, the three-fold is all over. Three primary colors, red, blue, and green. If you want to make a TV, you need those three primary colors. And so he's going to have to work in all three parts here, body, soul, and spirit. Now, the first part he's going to do the work in is uh, the work in the body and go to Matthew chapter 27. This is a great work that he and his father and the Holy Ghost came up with before we ever showed up. He had to figure a way to get through this mess so he could taste death for every man and he could be the propitiation and the full payment for all the sins of the world. Matthew chapter 27. And we know this is the chapter of the crucifixion. Uh, All four Gospels, again, there are a lot of things recorded in the Gospels, Sometimes there's a miracle in one that's not in another one. Sometimes it's in two Gospels. Sometimes it's in three. Only one miracle is in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000, because Christ wants to feed you the Word of God. But the other thing that's in all four Gospels is the crucifixion and that final week. And God focuses a lot on it. And the 27th chapter is the crucifixion chapter here where they uh, sent him. uh, Let me see. Verse thirty-one. They led him away to crucify him, and and then he goes through this, and f- and finally uh, he's in words are read about the ninth hour. He cries with a loud voice. He says, "Eli, Eli, that's God, God. Lema sabachthani, why hast thou forsaken me?" And he's quoting the twenty-second psalm, and then finally. When it is time, in verse 50, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And verse 57 When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went to Pilate and he begged the body of Jesus. And then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and he laid it in his own uh, tomb which he had hewn out in a rock and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and uh, departed. And so he took the body. So Jesus Christ had a body. And what we're going to see is um, this represents the humanity of Christ. Uh, um, Go to the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Again, I want the Scriptures to teach more than me, so we'll we'll turn through a lot of Scriptures here so we can learn some things along the way. And in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, knowing that, verse 4, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, and they had done that all through the Old Testament, but... You really can't fully pay for the sins of mankind with an animal because it, they're not equal, they're unequal. So, so verse 5, when he came into the world, Jesus, he said, Okay, speaking to his father, a sacrifice, and offering, thou wouldest not. That's not really what you were looking for. But a body hast thou prepared me. And so that night when the angel visited Mary... And she said, you're going to have a baby. He said to her, you're going to have a baby. She says, well, how is this possible? I've never slept with a man. This isn't modern America. If only this were 20 centuries later, I'd have slept with 10 guys by now. But, but I mean, it's it's Israel. We don't sleep around, you know. So this doesn't make any sense to me. How can this be? And, he, and then the angel said to God, why didn't you have her born in America? It would be so much easier. But anyways... Um, Good old sinful, lascivious, uh, fornicating America. But no, you had to do Israel. You got to make this tough. And the angel said, well, okay, well, here's how this is going to work out. The power of the Most High will come on you. And God will put the body in there. And I've come from God with these words. And she had to think about it. She was the first one to doubt the virgin birth. And she said, okay, be it to thy handmaid according to thy word. And at that moment, instead of a physical seed being placed in her womb, the spiritual seed of God's word was placed in the womb, and God began to knit a body inside of her that was holy and separate from the bodies you and I are made with. Because we're made with bodies that have sin, as we'll read in, in uh psalm 51 and other places later so so this body is prepared so but it's a human body it's it's uh, okay half it's got mary's egg he had to put the seed in something he put it in an egg so you got the egg from mary but you got the seed from the father and the dominant genes from the father so that overrides everything. If you've ever studied Mendelian genetics, you'll see that there's a dominant and a recessive gene, and the dominant manifests. Your eye colors and all those are by the dominant genes. So the dominant genes are God's, and that's manifesting everything, and he's got a pure and a sinless body. You've prepared a, a body for me. And, and verse 7, and, and then Jesus said back, so I said, lo, I come. And then he says in parentheses, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. Just to remind us that the Bible is a Christ-centered book and no matter where we read you can find Christ in any passage of the Old Testament if you look you'll see him as the lamb in the garden that was slain to cover Adam and Eve picture of the one day a lamb would have to either to cover sins and you'll find him in the book of leviticus as the sin offering and you'll find him in the book of numbers as the brazen serpent lifted up and you'll find him all these places oh that's a picture of christ Uh, in the volume book it's written of me and i'm coming to do thy will O god and verse nine so he said lo i come to do thy will and he that's god is going to take away the first testament that he may establish the second by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, so that that human body is going to be used to to do a work on that cross. Go a couple books to the right to First Peter, chapter two. So there was a purpose for that body. Now. It was a multi-purpose body. It would be like a, a, an athlete that can compete. What do they do when they can compete at a bunch of events? They're called triathletes or decathlon. I don't know what it is. Decathlon. So yeah, the body was multi-purposed. He used it for preaching. He used it for praying. He used it for teaching. He used it for doing miracles. But the real purpose of that body was that one day it had to be broken and die to pay for sin. That was the and that was the biggest of all uh that if we had been with him before the cross for three and a half years, all those things he would have done couldn't have taken away our sin if he finally you know the day before the cross said, "See you guys and and be me up, Scotty, and got out of here. Those people that had all their limbs healed and gotten out of wheelchairs and up they still would have died in their sins. The greatest work was what he's going to do right here. And so this is the big thing, to pay for the sin of the world. 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 22, Christ did no sin. Neither was any guile found in his mouth. So this is going to be a perfect sacrifice. An unblemished lamb is going to be up there. Not one with one spot or one wrinkle. And uh, verse 23, And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When, when he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself... To him that judgeth righteously, that's his father, and here it is, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And the body's going to be used to be like the sin bearer, and, and it's taking the sin upon him. That we who are dead to sins now should live to righteousness by whose stripes what he did on that cross has healed us, and again I know our our little carnal mind. Hey, I want to be healed. I don't want arthritis anymore. Yeah, that's that's penny ante healing compared to the eternal healing of your soul from sin. Okay. You know, just like, I want to be baptized in water. That's, that's cheap baptism compared to having your mind and your spirit and your heart baptized in truth. See, we think physically because we're low physical creatures. God thinks spiritually because He's high and lifted up and He'd like to give us the higher dimension of thinking. That's what the book attempts to do with us. So, so that He healed us eternally from sin so that our soul could be cleansed. And even if our body is crippled, it'd be better to have a crippled body and a cleansed soul than a, a gold medal winning body and a dirty soul. And so that's, that's what he did. Verse, notice the next verse. For you were a sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and bishop, not of your bodies, but of your soul. That was the work that he's doing. But in order to do it, he had to use his body. And so the notice that 24th verse please notice that carefully because there is some misteaching that maybe you've heard maybe you haven't heard hopefully you won't hear but there's some confused teaching that when he went to hell with his soul he had to pay for sin down there no he didn't i'm going to show you what he did down there when his soul went down you'll see it went down for 3 days and well that i can't do this in an hour Can I take the second hour to finish this? sir? Okay. All right. But the body made the payment for the sin. The Bible's telling you right there. Lord, Father, thou hast prepared a body for me. It's through the offering of the body the sins are paid for. I bear the sins in my body. Verse 24 is what he's saying there. So you understand that. Um, What he was doing now is just to teach a little theology. I don't want to get too deep with it. But He's being our substitute on that cross. Remember, He's tasting death for every man. He's tasting it for you. Okay, If you'll let Him, you can reject Him. And you can gladly, God says, you can taste it for yourself if you want. If that's what you want to do, you can stay in your sin. I'll let you die. I'll let your body go in a grave. I'll let your soul go to hell. If that's what you want, your choice, God says. But if you'll make Him your substitute... This is a substitutionary atonement. He's a pri- providing atonement on that tree as our substitute. Back in Genesis 22, Abraham was told, uh, take that, go back there real quick. I didn't mean to give you this. If you don't mind, we take a tour through the Bible. I'll teach you some things, okay? Abraham saw my day, Jesus said. He saw the day of the gospel. How did he see it? Genesis 22. When God told Abraham in verse 2, Take thy son, thine only son. And this is a picture of a father and a son whom thou lovest. By the way, that's the first time love ever appears in the Bible. And it's not the love of a mother for a child, it's not the love of a husband and a wife. It's the love of a father and a son. This is a picture being painted here of God the Father and his love for his only begotten son, Jesus. And Isaac is playing the role of Jesus and Abraham is playing the role of God the Father. Get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains I will tell thee of. It turns out that the land of Moriah, Moriah is the area of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem there's Mount Moriah, there's a hill nearby called Mount Calvary, and there's another hill nearby called Mount Zion. And he says, "I'll tell you which mountain." And you can bet it was at Mount Calvary where he sent him. And and so Abraham uh, rose up early in the morning. He saddled in the ass. He took two of his young men. Isaac, his son, came. They clave wood for the burnt offering. They rose up and they went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, so think about this. So let's pretend you're at home one night and you get a phone call from God. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill your daughter or son. I'm asking you to sacrifice your daughter or your son. And from that moment forward, you're like looking at someone who's alive and going, they're dead. God just told me, we're going to kill this one. And so though I'm I'm kind of with them, I'm already feeling the separation and loss. And for three days, Abraham was walking with what was like a dead man to him. And on the third day, finally, they got to the place in verse 4, and God sent him up there and... Uh, Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He laid it upon Isaac, his son. Jeez, was there someone that once bared a cross up to Calvary's hill? And there's Isaac, the son, carrying the wood to go up there. And uh, he took the fire in his hand, maybe a bick lighter, and a knife. And they went together. And Isaac said to his father, uh my father, he said, here, my, my son, he said, behold, we've got the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And here's the great verse 8, 8, which is the number of the new birth. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And see how perfect the wording is in the King James Bible? See, the modern Bible say God will provide a lamb for himself. No, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. He's going to himself be the lamb. God the son is going to come down as the lamb of God. So anyways, verse 9, they came to the place which God told him of. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son. I was thinking about this. At this time, Abraham's got to be a 100 and something years old, 130 years old, I don't know what what his age they had the baby Isaac when he was uh, 99 Isaac's about 30 now you got a 130 year old man versus a 30 year old man okay I'm gonna lay it down to be a sacrifice and the son looks at him the hell you are I can beat you up old man but that's not what happened at all the son said yes father I will obey in other words, willingly he's going. It's Again, it's a picture of Jesus willingly going for this thing. Uh, Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son, and then the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. That's a picture of a substitutionary sacrifice in the stead of. Instead of my son dying, this ram is going to die. Now ram is a male sheep grown up. And I know we call Jesus the Lamb of God, and he is the Lamb of God. From an eternal standpoint, 33 years old is very young. It's like a lamb, like a child. But from a human standpoint, that's a man. That's a ram. And what's happening on the cross here, back to where we were in uh, Peter, is that he is bearing our sins in his body on the tree, has a substitutionary atonement. He is suffering the equivalent of our penalty and satisfying the offense of our penalty uh, before God. He's our substitutionary atonement. And that's what the Bible was trying to show us from the beginning. When Adam and Eve first sinned, God slayed a lamb to cover them. Otherwise, they would have died within a 24-hour period, because if you sin the day you eat, you're going to die that day. And God said, "No, I'm going to provide mercy. Let me put this lamb skin on you to cover you so you can live beyond that." And so all through the Bible is painting this portrait for you and for me. Go to Colossians chapter two. Colossians is a a great book it's a companion book to Ephesians and both Ephesians and Colossians the theme is the church uh, the head of the church and the body which is the church and the head is Christ and the body is us and Ephesians focuses on the body and mentions the head a little bit Colossians focuses on the head and mentions the body a little bit so each gives its proper balance, but C. That would make sense to make it for Christ. So that's the head, and E. Ephesians for every one of us. That's the body. So you can see how he even uses the letters to help us in in sorting our way through this. And he's just showing us that um, uh, Christ, uh, verse and verse two, the mystery of God, the Father and Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we are to be, um, verse 6, receive Jesus Christ the Lord and walk in Him, and be rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. And that's what we need to do. Uh, And so in this particular thing, he talks about, verse 12, that we are buried with Him in baptism. So what what happened is when He got buried as the substitutionary atonement, if you put your faith, not of water baptism but a spiritual baptism i want spiritually to come to the cross i've been baptized in the truth that christ is my atonement then i get buried with him through the end of the 12th uh, uh, through faith uh, of the operation of god god is going to do a spiritual operation and put us in there and let him taste death for us and he becomes our substitutionary atonement uh verse uh 20 let me see Go back to chapter 1, verse uh, 21. And you, who were sometimes alienated and enemies, in your mind, we were enemies of God before we got saved, by wicked works, hath he now reconciled? What he's doing, he's going to reconcile us to God, to be reconciled is to be brought into friendship from prior bad relationship or enmity or enemy. And, and we were enemies of God in our old way. You, maybe you don't see it in yourself, but look at the world around you. They hate God, the God of the Bible. They love false gods. They're, they're in love with false gods. But they hate the God of the Bible. Now you're going to leave this room and you're going to go out into the world when you're done today. And I'll challenge you on any TV report, any newspaper article, any radio show, where do you hear the truth of the gospel? Where do you hear the truth about the Son of God? Where do you hear the truth about salvation? Where do you hear the truth about your soul? They hate that. They don't want anything to do with it. Here's the news. Here's the weather. Here's the sports. Here's the gossip columns. Here's anything, but what you're not going to hear is this. Go Go to school. Any of you been to school? Kai was to school. I graduated high school. Dummy me. And then, to be really stupid, I went 11 years after high school. Four years of pre med, four years of medical school, three years of postgraduate training. And I never heard Bible truth in all those years in school. And I went to Catholic schools. I heard traditions and myths. They're enemies of God in the world. The world isn't going to tell you the truth. You better hope you meet a Christian that tells you the truth. You better hope you stumble on a Bible that tells you the truth. You better hope you walk into a church that tells you the truth because you ain't going to hear it out there. I'm sorry to have to tell you the truth, but that's the truth. Look, look, and, and some of you may be conservatives and good for you. You're smart. You're not a dumb liberal. There's nothing dumber than a liberal. God hates liberals, Isaiah 32, 5-7. We've read the verses. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, a fool is at his left, God says in the book of Ecclesiastes. I understand that. But even conservative talk radio. W-B-E-N, Bowerly, Bellavia, the old days, Rush Limbaugh. You ain't gonna hear this. Yeah, We were in our minds enemies, alienated from God, but Jesus reconciled us and made us friends. How did he do it? Verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death. And through doing it and you accepting it you now become holy and unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight. What a deal. God looks at you as one of the saints if you've accepted this work that Jesus did up there in the body. So, When Jesus was there on the cross and he was up there for six hours, six is the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day. By the way, if you ever study organic chemistry, not inorganic chemistry. Inorganic chemistry is easy. We all get through that in pre-med with high grades. The next year we have to take organic chemistry and that weeds out all the pre-med students real fast. That's the real tough one. But when you're studying organic chemistry on how living cells and what are the chemicals in living cells, you'll find out everyone, you have three major uh, groups inside of you. You have uh, proteins, you have uh, carbohydrates, and you have nucleic acids, and they all have a carbon backbone to them. Carbon is the atom of life, and it's number six on the periodic table. It's got six protons, six electrons, and six neutrons. You ain't that strange. God God put his fingerprints in, in everything he made down here. And six hours he was up there on the cross paying for the sins of mankind. And in John chapter 20, when the six hours were up, in verse 30, Jesus received the vinegar and he said, It is finished and he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. And the work of paying for all of the sins, the propitiation, the full payment for the sins of the whole world and the mankind was done right there in that six-hour period, and he could say, "It's I did it, Lord, it's finished. It's finished. The work that I did to pay for sin is finished. And then he gave up the ghost. Now we're going to see what happened is he gave up the ghost. back Go back to Luke 23. And the Bible will use two ter- Often we'll use terms interchangeably, just like we do that too. That's an automobile. That's a car. You know, We use interchangeable terms, synonymous terms. And the Bible will use it too. And the synonymous terms it will use is spirit and ghost. Sometimes we call it the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we call him the Holy Ghost. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, when it was about the sixth hour, now they're telling time like a Jew, that would be 12 o'clock noon because the Jew reckons time from uh, 6 in the morning. There was a darkness over uh, all the earth until the ninth hour. So the first three hours He was on the cross, it was light. The last three hours He was on the cross, it was dark. Uh, the first three hours, while it was light out, people walked by and spit at him and laughed and shook their head. And he, he took, if you will, the wrath of man. And then the final three hours, God had to pour the wrath of God on him to pay for sin because God is angry with sin. And God has wrath for sin. Um, how did somebody put this the other day? Okay, God is holy. God gave you a holy Bible. The holiness of God exposes sin. Without the holiness in this book, you'll never know what sin is. I mean, I as a doofus lived for 39 years, think I was okay guy, I'm a good guy, I'm all right, I'm okay, I'm good. The hell I was. I I was a sinner, but I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware that me wanting a new motorcycle rather than my old one was actually sin. That's called covetousness. Okay, me wanting a bigger house, that's sin. Okay. I mean, how could anybody in America want anything more than they have? I just, this flips my mind when you start thinking about it. Have you people visited other countries? Have you gone to a third world nation and see how they live? Do, do you realize, and, and I, I hate to have to tell these truths to you, but you need to hear them every so often. I think the one percenters should pay their fair share. Do you realize to be in the top 1% of all earners in this world, all you need to make is $33,000 a year? That's it. If you make more than 33000 a year, you're in the top 1%. How dare you ask for anything else? Go, to, go outside Mexico City and see people living in boxes and living out in fields and having nothing. I mean, take a look. I mean, we're just a, an amazing... I didn't know I was a sinner this covetous rotten stinking doctor that wanted a Lincoln Continental and wasn't happy with his Chevy Chevette what a jerk I was the holiness of God exposed my sin okay the wrath of God opposes sin the holiness exposes the wrath opposes thankfully the grace of God disposes of sin And this is God working His grace here to dispose of the sin. But God is angry with sin. And for the last three hours, Jesus had to bear the wrath of God so you wouldn't have to. And He was able to do in three hours what you and I would have to do for a long time in hell. And so thank goodness that He was that he took this upon us. And, and what he says then is, um, verse 46, when it's all done, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now again, let me help you with spiritual anatomy because I know it's confusing. You're two-thirds spiritual. You've got a body, that's physical. You've got a soul and a spirit. And the two-thirds that are spiritual are the more important parts of you. And we're so dumb, we worry about the body and we get the anti-wrinkle cream and we go get the Botox injections and we work out to look good. But this body's getting old and corrupting no matter what. And you're not going to stop it. Uh, You can do all you want. God's plan is to replace it with a permanent body that doesn't get old. But in the meantime, he's more focused on your soul and your spirit. And what he did was when you have a body, a God to give you life to the body puts a soul. And the life force of your body is your soul. And when your soul finally leaves the body, the body dies. So so when I used to run the codes in the intensive care unit, in the operating room, in the emergency room, wherever I end up running a code sometime on the floor, and I ran a lot of codes. Uh, it just kind of fell to us because I was an intensivist. I was an anesthesiologist, so I'd let him do it because we're good at putting in IVs and we're good at putting in endotracheal tubes and setting ventilators. And so we ran a lot of codes. And and you're running this code and you're watching the monitor and the person's alive and then all of a sudden they're gone. And you know what the heck happened? Okay, call it at 144 p.m. It's over. And but they were. What happened? Now, I didn't know in medical school, but now I understand, like it says in the book of Genesis, God removed the soul from the body. Once the soul removed, that's it. I mean, I know the crazy ideas of Frankenstein in the 1800s. You know where that thought came from? uh, That was the first time they were doing experiment with muscle tissue and they were uh, finally learning how to work with electricity. And one day they had an animal that was dead, kind of freshly dead, hadn't gone through rigor mortis yet or it wouldn't work. It was a freshly dead animal, and it was touched with electricity, and the muscles contracted. And they were like, wow, the spark of life. No, you numbskull. All it means is that your muscles contract by electrical current. There are many tiny electrical currents. They're microvolts. So there are many electrical currents, but that's how you do the contraction and You know, there's positive charged calcium and there's negative charged ions in there. And just like positive and negative uh, electrodes, they they move things back and forth. That's all it is. God just made it that way. They didn't understand. But um, what really gives animation and life is the soul. It's not electricity. And try that on rigor mortis and nothing's going to happen once there's rigor in there. So that doesn't work. You need a soul. So the soul is the life force of the body. But one other thing God did, go to Genesis chapter 2. But God didn't make bodies or souls to live forever. Each of them needs a life force. The body needs the life force of a soul, which temporarily stays in there for 70, 80 years, whatever. But the soul needs a life force. So, verse 7 of Genesis 2 when the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and all he's telling us is that the our bodies are made up of the same elements you'll find in the dirt there's calcium there's a phosphorus there's magnesium there's carbon there's all the things that you'll find that's just your body okay and he made he formed that body then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and what he's doing is God's breathing the breath of life his spirit in there, And then what happens? The man becomes a living soul. So to keep the soul alive, you need a spirit. So, so the soul's not meant to live forever. God puts a spirit in it. And we have a spirit with a little S inside of our soul that keeps it alive. Now when we die, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. When people die, when human beings die, after the Book of Psalms is Proverbs. After Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. Go to Ecclesiastes three. Okay. He's he's um. <laughs> That's, sorry, this is a rough chapter in some points. You know, you know, the Bible is rough, again, because it tells the truth about us. And the, the truth about us is that we're fallen creatures, and in our fallenness, we're selfish. And in our, right, I mean, it doesn't matter to you anymore because you've got cell phones now. Those are great pacifiers to pacify everybody. But let's say we took everybody's cell phone away and sent you to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Okay, and so there's a queue, 35 people long, and you don't have a cell phone to pacify you for the next hour and a half. You ain't gonna be happy sitting in the back of that line and waiting and waiting and waiting. You'd like to go to the front of that line, wouldn't you? I remember years ago before cell phones, good old days, and um, we were at the DMV, and uh, a local celebrity walked in. And when he walked through the door, everybody knew him, hey, and everybody called his name out. And then he walked right to the front of the line. That didn't work well. The same people in the line were, who do you think you are? Get in the back of the line. They're pushing it back. Okay, that's the selfishness. Everybody was showing their selfishness there. That's the way we are. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verse uh, 13, uh, 18. Solomon just wandering around, looking in Jerusalem, looking in Israel, looking in some of the neighboring lands, says, you know, I said in my heart concerning the estates of the sons of men, that's us in our first birth, That maybe God might manifest them and they might see that they themselves are beasts. You know, a beast is selfish, he wants to eat when he wants to eat. He wants to hump when he wants to hump. He wants to, I mean, wants to preserve. I mean, self-preservation, self-propagation, self-gratification. Okay, that's how a beast lives. And we're like that too. And then he goes on, verse 19, for that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts, even as one thing befalleth them as the one dieth, so dieth the other. In other words, we're gonna die. Our animals die, we die. This is a cursed earth where the great enemy is death and Jesus is coming to conquer death. And by the way, he conquered it First for the soul, and when he comes back for the body. There will be no more death when he comes back. Even bodies won't die. But first, the more important I want to conquer it for the soul. And they die. And basically, so that end of verse 19, a man really has no preeminence above a beast when he behaves like one, because all is vanity. If he lives by vanity, he's no better than a beast. And then verse 20, the truth is we all go to one place. We're all of the dust, we all turn to dust. All the bodies of the animals and us are made from the earth. We're earthly creatures for now. Jesus is going to do a work so we can be a heavenly creature. He wants to take us from the first birth, our earthly birth, and take us to the new birth. And so he has to do this work. Um, Verse 21, here it is. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of a beast that goeth downward to the earth. And here's what happens when, when a person dies that doesn't know the Lord, or he, their body goes into a grave, a tomb, their spirit goes back to God. I remember uh, Rush Limbaugh used to say, talent on loan from God. What he meant to say was, my spirit's on loan from God. It's like a, uh, It's like a battery. When, when God was making you, he, you know, he let the body and He put the soul, and that's going to be the life force of the, the body is the soul. And the life force of the soul, I'm going to put this battery in there. And it's got an expiration date on it. Okay so, so born nineteen, you know fifty, you're going to die in two thousand and twenty. I've already put the expiration date on it, I've already the numbered the days. by the way, I'll let you cut it off if you want you want to put a gun to your head or take drugs or smoke or do something. I don't mind if you cut it shorter, you can't extend it one bit but but you can cut it shorter. God says I respect your choices if, if you're really that foolish, I respect them. I don't think they're wise, but I'll let you make the choice. He puts his battery in, and when it's all done the battery's mine bring it back to me the body well that can go back to the earth and the soul again if you're saved your soul is going to go up but Jesus is tasting death for every man including lost men and his soul had to go down and we're going to see that um, but let me just show you a few more things about the spirit go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 Now, we remember earlier that day, before Jesus went to the cross, Pilate marched him in front of all the people there and said, at one point, he said, Behold the man. And then later on, the more he talked to Jesus, he said, Are thou a king? He said, For this purpose have I come. And he went out and he said, Behold your king. And he called him a king. Now, Jesus is a king. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And later on in that uh, chapter, it says in verse 8, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. In other words, when your battery runs out and it's time for you to die. We at the hospital yesterday, there was a an older person in the room next to my wife. And they're kind of sensing that it's their time and they're going to die. And uh, the family is not happy with it. No, don't say it. Don't say it. No, no, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But but here's the point. When the Lord is ready to call that back, that spirit back, it can't say, no, no, I'd like to retain it. I'm going to hang on to that. I mean, when that day comes, you don't have the power to retain that spirit. Why? Um, neither hath he power in the day of death. You can't retain it in the day of death. There's no discharge in that war, meaning the war against sin and the day of your death, you can't get out of it. You can't get discharged from that. You can't be a conscientious objector. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment, everyone uh, that's born is going to die and face judgment. The world is full of, uh, let's say, nursing homes, hospitals, and graveyards, and it ain't going to change. And I worked research at Roswell Park, and they're not going to fix a doggone thing. God's not going to let them. That that day is going to come. But the curious thing about Jesus back where we were in Luke, if you remember, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. In other words, I've done the work. Okay, I'm done, Lord. Okay, let me put it this way. I'm not getting it. Okay. Not that Jesus was despondent. Not that Jesus was depressed and wanted to commit suicide. But let's say he did, or more importantly, let's say, anyone of anybody did wanted to commit suicide there are people like that that want to commit suicide it's sad i know it's the devil whispering in their ear Uh, there's no advantage to killing yourself god is not the god of the dead he wants to give you life but if you did want to commit suicide you'd have to do something you'd have to put a rope around your neck or gun or poison you just couldn't go okay i'm done You don't have the power to do that with your spirit. That's what Jesus did. Because he's a king. Where the word of a king is, there's power. He's just not an earthly king. He's the heavenly king. It was done. I'm done. I finished the work. Okay, Lord. That's it. That's one of the proofs. The body proved he was human. Let me see. Go to Psalm 146. The body proved his humanity. What he just did there with his spirit, okay, I'm done. (laughs) And that was it. That's going to prove his divinity, Psalm 146. Jesus was truly... Uh, human and truly God truly man and truly God I don't want to say fully man and fully God because he had laid a lot of the attributes of his deity aside and he wasn't fully human in the sense he's not a sinner but he was truly human and he's truly God and Psalm 146 this is deep but what the heck we're just studying you don't need to know this stuff Just know Jesus is the Christ. Receive him as your Savior. Get saved. We're going to do all this study in the millennium and a lot deeper. This is just shallow stuff we're going through. Okay, Psalm 146. Good, good Psalm. Sorry, I'm going over. We're going to to have to go over for a few more minutes, folks. We just got to finish this because I got so much more to teach. Uh, Praise ye the Lord. Good advice. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen. While I live, I'll praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, I'll sing praises unto my God. Watch uh, this. Put not your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. Wait a minute. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Yeah, if he was just the Son of Man, it wouldn't have been sufficient. He had to also be the Son of God. So verse 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Do you know who was on that cross? The God of Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the great I Am and I and my Father are one. And his ability to just say, okay, the work's done. My spirit's going up. That proves this is the God of Jacob and the divine nature. Now the next teaching, if you don't mind, I'm going to show you what happened to the soul and the four things he did when he was down in the heart of the earth. Okay, we'll take a break. Whatever.